I'm proud to say that this video is brought to you by www.ridge.com slash broken silicon, a sponsor that offers wallets with over 30 sleek designs and most importantly, intelligent design. This wallet size matches how big or how small your life is. And of course, don't forget that they also make laptop bags. I have the commuter backpack myself and its overall ruggedness and usability really did impress me. Make sure you use the offer code BROKENSILICON and the link in the description so they know my dog sent you. And it is also brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Navi2XTom, and I am joined by the DG2 Dan. Ooh, I like that. You do? I was I was expecting you to say, screw you, I'm not DG2. Well, I think the DG2 is going to be a bit more impressive than we're expecting, Tom. That was sarcasm, but yeah, you know, uh, we'll get into it. This is going to be a very, very graphics card on desktop heavy episode. Um, I, I, for when it comes to DG2, I would just say right now, I wouldn't bet really like in any direction so much as I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, I am very tired. I mean, I think Dan, you got to catch all of the stuff that came out in the past couple of days, right? The RTX 3070 reviews, the RDNA 2 review today. Yeah. You didn't get to watch my RDNA 2 video that dropped literally when we started recording. But then again, I mean, you know. Yeah. You know, Dan. Yeah, yeah I know. Dan, let us get to the important questions. His Larian Bitrot writes in and says, all right, a scenario. You and Dan are walking in the woods. There's no one around and your phone is dead. Out of the corner of your eye, you spot him. Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Or is it LaBeouf? Uh, so who gets sacrificed so the other survives? And my answer is, we fuck Shia up. I don't know. That dude's pretty buff. And I will also... Yeah, he's, he's also likely insane. He is insane. He cut his face open intentionally to get a scar for the movie Theory. <laughs> and I w- would That's also That's a dedication like- to the craft. Okay. I would also like to point out that, I don't know if you realize this, Tom, that is a reference to the excellent song. Of course I know Actually, that. Okay. okay, you didn't say it to the rhythm, so I don't know. I don't it's know. It's been a while since I've watched it. It's a very funny video. I should put a link to that in the description, actually. I mean, I think that should be required watching for everyone who follows us. I mean, it's very but so you th- So I, I voted we, we, I voted he, he's in the dirt. You're voting me and you both die. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. He he's an actor, so he's probably smaller than us. We have to keep that keep that in mind. Yeah, but yeah, he yeah. is pretty jacked, and he is insane, as you say. <laughs> so I don't know if that's going to be a detriment or positive for him. Well, we'll have to get a hold of him someday and see what he where he weighs in on this. Yeah, yeah. Let's. I think we can get to Shia. I'm sure that's easy to get on the next episode. Yeah. 
when he's not cutting his face open. <laughs> Uh, all right, to corrections. Daniel Vega Hyde writes in and says, when talking about the PS5 SSD, Dan kept referring to gigabytes. This is incorrect. The correct term is gibbybyte. Fuck you, Dan. Fuck me. I think that's my fir- the first correction directed at me. So I'll be flogging myself you, all night. You know what? And I did notice that while I was doing research over the uh, weekend for Big Navi, just kind of comparing my numbers you know, against new rumors popping up. And I had to look at like the amount of, I think it's maybe bytes then <laughs> of cash. And that's when I noticed that and went, wait, Dan said giggy bite. Wouldn't it be Gibby? Yeah, I noticed him. I, I immediately was like, oh shit. Yeah, I did say that when I was in that <laughs> last episode. I think it when should I, be called giggy bite to be true. Well, I don't know. Gibby bite also sounds pretty ridiculous. It's probably some uh, Latin thing. Why it's called Gibby. So. Yeah, well, everyone knows Latin's stupid, so... Or Greek, but I don't know. Uh, anyways, Daniel Vega Hyde also writes in and says, In Broken Silicon 71, the guest in you made the assertion that the switch from 35-watt to 15-watt CPUs and the mainstay was made in the Sandy Ivy Bridge era and my personal experience, at least, procuring laptops for customers from single end users all the way up to multinational enterprises is that the majority of Sandy and Ivy Bridge laptops were still the M suffix, 35-watt SKUs, or, or I guess you might say H. Uh, it wasn't until Haswell that the majority of OEMs were using the U15 watt SKUs as the base option for most laptop models. Um, I guess I'd somewhat agree with that. I I just know that the transition started with Sandy Bridge and Ivy Bridge, and I think I just wouldn't be hard on anyone who kind of mixes up when that happens, and it would vary depending on the OEM. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really paying that much attention to the market at this point, so I, I can't really say. I mean, honestly, I would say like the firm, like, wow, everything is now a U processor pretty much happened with KB Lake R. Um, yeah. You know, when, they, when Intel finally brought in 15 watt quad cores, that's really when the game, for me, completely changed, which is, of course, because of Zen 1 APUs. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, less than four cores back then still would have been kind of a pain in the ass. Faceplants writes in and he says, how far in the future would you bet $50 that NVIDIA releases a new consumer gaming GPU on a TSMC cutting edge node, Ampere refresh, RTX 4000 or whatever they call it, i.e. if you are relatively confident there won't be a consumer GPU refresh from TSMC before June 2021. That's the date I'm looking for. I mean, I, I, I put in the notes I put here, I said a complete refresh. I mean... It depends what you mean by cutting edge node, because the latest node mid next year will be five nanometer. Yeah. I mean, that's cutting edge now. And I believe at least Gamers Nexus says that there's like Zen 3 plus APUs possibly coming out around there. That's old info now, but that, that's what he said a few months ago. So, and I believe RDNA 3 will launch at the very end of next year um, on five nanometer. So it's like, it depends what you mean by cutting edge, but I, I, what I would say is if you if I consider 5 nanometer cutting edge, I would bet $50 NVIDIA will have a full lineup out on it or so, or, or <laughs> whatever Samsung's closest thing is by early 2023. But I, I do believe the next gen will might go back to at least partially TSMC, but I just don't think they can bring the whole lineup to TSMC. Right, they they can't. Capacity dictates they can't. 
I think what they might try doing is getting one of the top dies out on TSMC mid next year and still use Samsung and then just kind of bump everything up in the yeah you know lineup. I mean, and the other thing is, I don't know how long they're going to be married to Samsung for. I don't know if this is going to just be a one year thing. Maybe they'll be on Samsung for a while as well if Samsung starts catching up with their nodes. I don't think Samsung's going to be catching up with any nodes anytime soon. <laughs> I, I, <to> think, <laughs> I, I think uh, TSMC, it looks like they're kind of just running away with the market in a lot of ways. So yeah. At least for the next few years. And I, I think, uh, based on the, and I have asked a couple people in the industry about this, like what they think about NVIDIA switching. And, and the consensus is that a lot of the recent rumors sound somewhat sketchy, that they're just switching their lineup over. I don't think they are. And I, and I think the only, again, the only thing I think they could really do, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but uh, is move GA102 over. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe. Which is what I thought they were going to do <laughs> half a year ago because it sounded insane to me. They put their top card on Tia, on Samsung when AMD will have their top card on TSMC, which means AMD almost just gets to <laughs> at least match whatever NVIDIA has because of how much better TSMC is. I mean, yeah, that's probably a lot where at least some of the benefits that uh, AMD is seeing with their new lineup is coming from is that node. Well, just the fact that they have double the die size on a node that is easily at least 20% better. Yeah. Really probably more than that than Samsung's 8 nanometer. Potatoes Are Life writes in and says, would you bet $69 that Intel will not have Ice Lake SP by the end of quarter one, 2021? I would bet they won't have high volume by the end of quarter one. But I would bet they will by the end of quarter two, early quarter three. And, and, and I, I know it sounds like I'm hedging, but I don't know. I think it's a little ballsy of me to make any bets on Intel getting something out relatively when they say they will. <laughs> uh, yeah, they tend to uh, not be very good at doing that right now. See 10 nanometer, <laughs> just in general. Now it's real, now, man. Just three years yeah, later. now it's real. At least three years later. <laughs> Voodoo 61238 writes in and says, Tom, my 5700 XT water-cooled card can't quite keep up in some AAA games at ultra-high resolution. So I'm for sure upgrading to Big Navi or Ampere if Big Navi flops. I guess he sent this in before today. Uh, and I'm okay. Well, I guess reviews aren't in yet, though. So and I guess I'm okay with not having a gaming GPU for a month or two. Can you provide some insight into potential price drops or lack thereof of RDMA 1 cards like mine when Big Navi is revealed launched? Yeah, so I don't think we're going to see big 5700 XT drops, price drops Intel quarter one. I wouldn't be surprised if the price drop, you know, it's kind of drifts. Because at a certain point, the fi- a few months ago, 5700 XT was actually 350, I think, wasn't it? Or at least I think so. at some point this year. You know, but the prices have gone up recently. And here's the thing. The holiday season's here. I, I don't know that prices will go down at all, even just the street price. Like, again, it wouldn't surprise me if they did. But it also wouldn't surprise me if nah, it stays around $400 because, I mean, you can almost see how AMD allowed room for this. The 50, we'll get to it. The 6800 is $580. That's one, two, three, like, yeah, 45% more than the 5700 XT. Now, it's far stronger yeah. than that you know it's like 60 percent stronger but you know yeah i i you know what i mean dan i don't do you agree i don't see why navi 10 would get a price drop I, until navi 22 is on the horizon i mean and it's just like these markets are kind of 
stupid in a lot of ways too. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's like, I, I've seen like the day the 30, 90, 30, 80 and 30, 70 were uh, announced. I think the 2080 TI was at $1,200 for a few days afterwards. So I don't know. Pyrogenesis 4444 writes in, that's four fours. And says, you want me to put myself as an executive producer now or after the RDNA2 launch, since it appears I have lost the bet. Just in case you don't know what I'm talking about, I put a bet in the reader mail that my absolute lowest projection for top Navi 21 SKU is 2 to 5% over the 3090, and my likely projection is plus 10%. <laughs> Uh, if you are right, I will bump myself up to executive producer. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess we should get into it now. I, you know, bump yourself up to whatever you want or can afford that. You don't need to bump yourself up to anything. You know, I don't see the bets are meant to put things in context, not to actually make anyone pay any money, but yeah, I mean, let's get into it. Then Dan story. Number one, AMD finally shows off big Navi and I'm not going, I didn't put any write up here. You know, I just thought we'd have an open discussion about it. And there will be a link in the description for my video that I put out before this podcast, summarizing the information and my opinions on that to a certain degree. So that will all be there. I mean, but connecting to his question, I'll say just out of the gate, it is not 20% better than the 3090. Like the AM delusionals that had a temper tantrum in my discord kept saying to me. And it is also way stronger than the 3070. which is what I said the whole time, and it's true. you know. And, and, and we'll get into it. I, I want to say at the outset, I still see NVIDIA as pretty much holding the performance crown overall, by the way, guys. But that doesn't mean I would ever recommend the 3090 over the 6900 XT. But um, I don't know. Do you disagree with that? Or, or I think we need to wait and see. There's uh, always talk that these are... These are obviously figures generated from AMD, so it's in AMD's best interest to show it in the best in a good light. Obviously, so I'm excited for reviews. But I mean, it looks like the the uh, 6900 XT is pretty much trading blows. I mean, maybe once we have more games benchmarked, it will come out as a few percent lower, but weaker. But I I don't think it's going to be more than a few percent uh, for the 6900 XT versus the 3090. Yeah. Well, so there's a few things I highlight in this video that I just put out that I think are worth emphasizing. And let's just summarize kind of what AMD showed. So the good first, yeah, the 6800 is about five to ten percent better than the 3070, and there's a new Rage mode. Did you see that, Dan? Yeah. Then the Rage mode, I love this, is like a one-click overclocking option. I believe in the BIOS. That's awesome. Yeah. That that's exactly what I want. I don't want to have to mess with this, especially the more and more and more as I, I do professional work. And then when I'm gaming, I don't want to mess with any crashes. This is my like one hour to game of the night. <laughs> the older I get and the busier I get. So that's cool. So, but you know, without rage mode, the 6800 is about 10% better than the 3070. And the 6800 XT is actually, in my opinion, it's like the same as a 3080 and 1440p is a little stronger and a little weaker in 4K. So keep that in mind. And then when they showed the 6900 XT against the 3090, they showed it with Rage Mode on, Dan. Yeah, I know. So it's not yeah, that's true. stock settings. It's and 
And look, I think after overclocking, I'll still probably eke out a overclock 3090 by a couple percent, maybe. But yeah, the 3090 is also probably, as far as I can tell, and I'm not 100% sure yet, but as far as I can tell, 20% better at ray tracing. So, well, yeah, and that's so definitely. Dan, you're t- so it has rage mode on. It's probably not that far behind it in power usage. It's running maybe a percent or two weaker in 4K, and its ray tracing is worse. I don't think they took the performance crown from the 3090. Uh, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think they did. I think they're, they're, it's going to be pretty damn close. I, I, I guess I don't know the exact percentage that it's going to be weaker, but I don't think it, I mean, I don't really think it could be more than five. Because, I mean... No, and these cards, again, as we keep covering, are all right next to each other. Yeah, so it's like, when we're talking about these differences in performance, we're we're really splitting hairs a lot in a lot of ways when we're talking about performance with the uh, 6800 XT, the 3080, the 3090, and the 6900 XT, because they're all really, really close to each other. Another thing I saw Dord point out on Twitter is, like, on a couple of the slides, it says... Uh, like peak performance or something. So there's a, a little bit of weird wording here and there. And notice they didn't show any benchmarks with ray tracing. Oh, I and I immediately noticed that ray tracing is, I think uh, Tom's Hardware's write-up of it um, said that it looks like, based on what they said, that it should be around Turing's level of ray tracing. But the cards are stronger, so it will ray trace better, you know? Yeah. So that's pretty much what I expected. So again, it's like, and again, I'm not trying to be overly like negative towards Big Navi, but I did the same thing when Ampere was finally revealed as I, it is literally my job to point out things that they might be trying to hide from you. So again, I don't believe AMD seem really confident. I don't believe they are cherry picking benchmarks at all, but I do believe they're showing it in its best light. And again, the way I would put it is the 6800 XT is about 3080 performance, not really beating it with a little bit worse ray tracing, but better efficiency and more VRAM. I would for sure recommend the 6800 XT over the 3080, but I can't really say it beats it. And I can't say the 6900 XT beats the 3090. And a lot of people are pointing out how much of a better deal the 6900 XT is over the 3090. It's like, yeah, no shit. The 3090 is a stupid card, guys. Yeah. And, and, you should never compare it to that. Like, why don't we compare it to the Titan? <laughs> like, no wonder. Yeah, I know it's better uh, price performance. Well, yeah, that's never what those cards are meant to be as best price performance. But I think you obviously need to be cautious until you see reviews because there's a, right. there's a reason they picked the games they picked, even though the games they picked... Uh, the nvidia one and the, ga- the games they compare them to sometimes now you could say that's a, a strategy to for to make people think see it's unbiased no no no. i but, think amd is a very straight shooter in performance just keep in mind they're emphasizing the best parts of it guys yeah. and it and and, and, I, and and it just annoys me a little bit because i've seen some people saying see it is better than the 3090 and it's like it's not overclocked it's Slightly weaker in 4K. It is not better than the 3090. Yeah. And it also is worse ray tracing. I, I mean, e- even if you it beat it by a couple percent uh, with Rage Mode on in, that, in those benchmarks that they showed, I, it's the claim that it's better is still a little off because, well, it has 8 gigs less RAM. I don't know how if that RAM will be necessary on the 3090, but it has less and it also has probably about half as good ray tracing. And NVIDIA can still claim theirs is better in 8K. Yes. <laughs> you know, 
gaming at a buttery smooth console frame rates, as Gamers <laughs> Nexus put it. For all, and for all of those people that are playing at 8K. <laughs> yeah, I know. But anyway, so that, that I do have to get those. And also, they didn't re, they they talked about Fidelity FX, and based on the people I've talked to, it sounds like it will be a good competitor to DLSS. But I don't have any proof yet. And they didn't even show benchmarks for it, which bothers me. So what we can say now is AMD is competing in the high end, but we cannot say they're winning. What I can say is their graphics cards seem like way better choices. It's possible to not win, but still default win, right? Yeah. I I mean, yeah, that's a little weird that they're mentioned a new feature and they aren't talking about it. I mean, showing it off. I think they mm-hmm. said that it need it, that the feature isn't like finished yet so they need to they'll implement it later. Well, and I they have, you know, a, another almost month because apparently they're not coming out till November 18th, you know. Yeah. Which is interesting that those were launching a day before when Cyberpunk was supposed to come out. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how it, Nvidia also <laughs> launched the 3070 the day before this to clearly undercut this. Uh, and I reveal. believe AIB reviews of the 3070 come out tomorrow. <laughs> That's awesome. So they're just like, as I think Linus said, they're carpet bombing the <laughs> 6800 XT reveal. Nice. But yeah, so again, in, in summary, my thoughts on Big Navi, and I, again, you know, I say this in the video that came out right before this podcast. I put it this way. I think a lot of people are still in the blown away AMD's even competing mode, and they're missing that, at least from my perspective, AMD only slightly over-delivered what I expected, very slightly, and that there are still a few red flags in there that make me say they really haven't crushed, crushed NVIDIA. Having said that, most years, it would be like, oh, well, NVIDIA's price is 700, AIB models are cheaper than that. Uh, and you know, the price performance is similar, but that's, it's, it's not a normal year for NVIDIA. NVIDIA's prices are elevated. I argue partially because of manipulation, but also just because of continued shortages that, and again, we can get to it in a second. I have updated, you know, guys, they, more deliveries are coming in a couple of weeks, seriously, of Ampere, like I said, they would, but it's still not enough. It's still not as many as to satisfy demand. And so because this isn't a normal year, I believe AMD's less aggressive undercutting and pricing will still make AMD look like they have a crazy better product because you just can't buy Ampere. And I think people are missing like, like the people that are sh- will shop for Navi 21 are people that just couldn't get a 3080 and a 3090. And unlike previous NVIDIA launches, that's most people. <laughs> so AMD looks far more valuable than they should. So in many ways, it actually is a slam dunk because of those reasons. Well, and, and yeah, I, I'm yeah, I pretty I agree with what you said there pretty much. But I mean, I, I was looking through comments sections on like r slash NVIDIA today because I was curious, like, what are they saying about? Yeah. this? And it's about half of people saying, well, at least I'll I might be able to buy this one. So I'm going to go with it. So, yeah, I think exactly. I think this is a any other dunk. year you would say, right? Oh, 700 for a 3080 or, you know, 649 for a 6800 XT. They're pretty similar performance, but one is more VRAM, but the other one is better ray tracing. That's what you would say most years, except you can't actually get the 3080 and they're being char- and you're, they're charging closer to 800 for it. And so because of that, 
street price to street price and because of availability, AMD is a slam dunk. I just think we shouldn't forget that if NVIDIA hadn't completely screwed up their launch, AMD would be just meeting expectations of what we should hope they would do. I mean, yeah, if it were another year, if it were another 5,700 that that they had instead of this and NVIDIA done well, like people that would severely damage AMD's brand, especially considering how uh, confident they've been. I mean, obviously that's not what the reality was going to be, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would agree. This is on the... Um, range of possibilities this is on the upper end of good outcomes for amd but it's not like one of those insane cases that people were thinking no it's just like ampere wasn't either ampere brought the performance i expected but with some caveats and i think there's just a lot of people that were listening to other tech tubers that for some reason became convinced amd wouldn't be able to beat the 2080 ti by much and also ampere would only be 30 percent better wrong Ampere's 40 to 50% better, but it uses a lot of energy and it's hard to get a hold of. Also wrong about AMD. AMD is, I don't know how you want to put it, like 35 to 45% better, but they are charging more than they would have otherwise. Well, and they don't need to charge less than what they're... They don't need to because you can't get Ampere. The, the only pricing I see compared to its competitor that seems a little bit like they might be going for like a not aggressive scheme is... Uh, the 3070 versus the 6800 because it's $80 more. I mean, I think the price is warranted. It has double the RAM and it has double the RAM. And it is a guys. bit stronger. So if they had just gone and charged 500, that would have been an insane undercutting of the 3070. Well, and something I also emphasize in my RDNA 2 reveal analysis video is that you have to remember the whole lineup isn't out yet. Mm-hmm. That right now, AMD's char- uh, targeting not, they're really not targeting the 3070 guys. AMD's targeting the 3080 and the 3090 right now. The 6700 XT will complete the, the fucking of NVIDIA's entire lineup. And it's, they, think of how AMD's sandwiching each card. So let's say you go out to get a 3080, and then 90% chance you don't get one. Then you look at the, the other options and you go, oh, I can save about $200 because of the street price of the 3080, and get a 6800. Oh, that's only like 15% weaker and has more memory? Oh, well, then I'll just save the money, right? And then you look at what's above it. Oh, well, wait, though. This other card is $50 cheaper and has more memory and is the same performance. And then above it is a stronger card with 16 gigabytes. So... They they have the the 3080 sandwich between a stronger card with more memory, though more expensive, and the same performance slightly cheaper, but also with more memory. And it gets way worse when you go to the 3070 when Navi 22 comes out. Because what's going to happen, guys, is they're going to say, oh, I can either pay 15% more for like 10% more performance and double the VRAM, or I can save $100 and get the $400 6700 XT. Oh, and it's like, 85, 90% the performance and has 12 gigabytes of VRAM, Mm -hmm. right? Because I'm confident the 6700 XT at this point. I'm not 100%. We would still say it's in the white text on my leaks where it's like above 70% chance. But I believe it's a 12 gigabyte card that uses about 200 watts and is like 85%, like stronger than a 2080 Super by a hair. That should put it just below the 3070 while being $100 cheaper and having more memory. So again, you just look at the lineup and you're like, so I'm choosing between a card that's slightly more money and has double the RAM 
and a card that's 20% less money and still has more RAM. And then you go down to the 3060, and it's a complete bloodbath sandwich between a 12 gigabyte and a 10 gigabyte card that's cheaper. I think, yeah, even though they haven't taken the crown, like they, they, it's, they've kind of invalidated NVIDIA's entire lineup at this point. Unless you're one of those people that's like, oh, I gotta have the best so that you get the 3090. But I mean, it's $500. But it's still barely the best. And you're making a lot, of, at least, yeah. by the way, it's probably more like $700 more. And, you're making a lot of sacrifices in like needing a insane power supply. And I mean, it's winter, so cool, but I'm just telling you, like the thing gets up to 400 Watts, like during the summer, that's going to, that's like running SLI. Yeah. (laughs) It's a lot of energy, you know? And so there's a lot of caveats for going with this card that's stronger even so. And that's why I continue to say, you don't need a win to have the better lineup. That's definitely true. And I, I think, pretending it's not as kind of absurd. I mean, I guess they have the marketing material like, oh, well, we have the strongest card. Well, that doesn't make your cards below it any better. (laughs) Nico D writes in and he says, can you talk about how you came to have so many connections in the deeper industry at this point and keep up the good work? Thank you. I bring this up because, yeah, I mean, I expected just because no one ever gives you any credit when you get things right, it seems. But I, but it seems like people are legitimately giving us credit, Dan, for how, like, on the money, the RDNA 2 leak that I we put out a, week, a month ago was. Like, it really was on the money. Yeah. Right? It's, it's actually kind of funny when you look at it. Um, and, and the answer, I would say to Nico, is I, I said this in a, in a previous video or podcast, but you have to understand, every leak cycle, guys, I know more and more which sources I can rely on, which ones I should throw out, and which ones I rely on, I should trust with which information. Like which ones tend to overemphasize one thing, which ones really only know one type of thing really well. And I get better at analyzing all that. And then also, they connect me to more people, right? And and, and he says, like literally the question, how do you get some of these connections? Uh, you guys have seen who's been on Broken Silicon at this point. You think some of them might know people at AMD and Intel? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's really not a shocker. And just based on some of the people you've had on, like people that are doubting that you're getting legitimate information, it's like, I mean, these people are willing to go on your podcast and talk to you. If they don't think you have some credibility, they're not, they they don't want to hurt their credibility by going on to some random guy's podcast. Yeah, so it's just, uh, (laughs) but I, I mean, and I will say, I'm getting, I mean, still though, still just all the BS. I'm getting a little tired of leaking, I have to admit. And I keep saying it, but I have to admit I'm a hypocrite. Like when I say I never intended to be a leak channel. I mean, like, wait, I have my YouTube thing open right now. Like, let's see, my last video was literally updating a leak. And then before that was an Intel DG2 leak. And then an availability leak. And then an RDNA2 leak. And then a Quadro leak. Yeah, I mean, like I have to admit, most of my videos are leaks now. <laughs> I mean, it's just... But I'm getting tired of it, to be honest. I know. It's just, if you run with them, people are going to go to you. And like, if you're good at leaking, you're going to keep getting people that want to talk to you. Right. And you have to also think about, like, people would be happy to share information with me if they, you know, because they've seen how well I've done with information in the past. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's where that comes from, you know, usually as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's see here. Amiable Chef writes in, he says, Tom... When do you suppose you'll be hearing murmurs and whispers of RDNA 3? Quarter two next year, safe bet? He puts sweet smile. Um, so, 
I, I mean, I've already put out info on RDNA three. It's MCM. It probably it almost definitely has an IO die. It um it's on five nanometer, I believe. Uh, what else was there? It has a revamped geometry engine, a focus on good VR performance. Um, what do you want to know? <laughs> you know, like I've already put that out there, and and we can already see it. AMD says they're going to increase efficiency by fifty percent again. So I would I would guess it won't be as big of a performance increase. <laughs> relatively speaking to now, are they slightly over double performance? Like I think I averaged it out. It seems like it's a 200, it's like a 104% performance increase over the 5700 XT. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to double 6900 XT performance. Well, I mean, yeah, they, they, but I do think it could go up by 50% again in about a year and a few months. And I mean, that's important to remember. That's not, that's not crazy for that to happen like that. That's perfectly reasonable. I mean, no, not when they move to five nanometer and they're moving to an MCM design. Yeah. I would say, yep, they might <laughs> do it again, guys, though. They might, it might not be 100% more again, but it, it could be 60 or so. Yeah. And then think of how much stronger that would be than my Radeon 7 if I upgraded. That would be pretty fun. That would be, I mean, it'd be triple. It'd probably over triple the performance. And that's where I go back to wait, wait to upgrade a little bit more than you want to because when you upgrade, it's really fun. <laughs> Yeah, then you're just like blown away, like laughing at how good your performance yeah. is. Um, Mo writes in, Hi, Tom. Do you hear much about retail efforts from companies? Is AMD just advising on how to stop scalpers from getting cards, or are they actually assisting with the launch? You know, if NVIDIA are okay with scalpers, so long as the demand and price of the product stay high, and AMD is sensing a chance to be the people's champion. I uh, would love to know more about your attitude and direction of the companies regarding their launch. So, I don't know. Did you see that letter that went out? I actually tweeted. I actually received it before it went out as well. Um, I just was asleep. <laughs> I, I was just told I couldn't put it out until a certain time, and I slept in. Okay. So it had already leaked by other people <laughs> by the time. But it showed that AMD isn't just trying to... It, it, it wasn't just a letter to AIB saying, let's not have scalping. It was also AMD saying they would offer some resources and assistance in how to prevent bots from buying cards. So technically, AMD is putting some resources into preventing scalpers. So to answer Mo's question, I would say that's different than NVIDIA, where they didn't even have Kapchka on their website. That's, I I mean, that's frankly insane. Like, I don't know what they were thinking with that. Like, even, like, Newegg at least tries to put, like, some effort to try to stop bots from buying up cards. Um some effort should be put into making sure that all all of the purchases are being done by actual people. Yeah, and I guess what I would say about NVIDIA is, no, I don't think NVIDIA wants that. You know, I just, I literally think they didn't think about it. That's it. And I think they didn't think about it because they knew that they wouldn't really have any cards at launch. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's another good point. <laughs> Captain Fantastic writes in and says, now that the 6000 series has launched, can you give any juicy details on how badly disorganized NVIDIA is right now? I mean, haven't that haven't I been putting out those details in uh, half of the videos I've been putting out? I mean, and I cover this in my RDNA 2 analysis. Look, there's... I, I think Copite is one of those Twitter leakers still worth really following. Like, he's been pretty on the money with everything he said. And he says... There's at least evidence of a 3070 Ti GA102 and then like a basically a 3080 Ti 12 gigabyte. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I stand by what I saw with them holding 
some of their dyes back for November. I seriously think they're rethinking their lineup and they're going to semi-phase out the 3080 while moving in a 3080 Ti 12 gigabyte for a little bit more. That's 10% better. And then moving in a 3070 Ti that's like 5% weaker than the 3080, but more cut down so they can have more yields of it. I think that's what's clearly happening. Um, I, I mean, yeah, that I, I agree. That's what it seems to be. It's, I don't think there's been anything in the past seven hours or however long it's eight, nine hours since AMD's uh, done that press release that gives us any indication that it, NVIDIA is more disorganized. But it's been pretty clear that they've been scrambling. I mean, the for canceling, right? Of the 16, as, as far as we can tell, the canceling yeah. of the 3070, 16 gigabyte, the 3080, 20 gigabyte, at the, really at the last minute. And, and, and as I point out in my video, by the way, today too, like now you guys see why this 16 gigabyte and 20 gigabyte model makes absolutely no sense if they're launching another 10 and 12 gigabyte card. Oh, well, uh, yeah. Where would you, pr- the pricing would become just completely all over the place. Yeah, Eshel19 writes in and he says, is it worth to wait for the 6900 XT or to just buy the 6800 XT? Money is not an issue. I'm going to game on 1440p. Um, You know, look, if and 240 hertz. Oh, I I, I would look, if, <laughs> if money's not an issue, I'd recommend the 6900 XT. I just think it's going to be very hard to get. I think it's worth emphasizing and I said this in my RDNA 2 leak, that AMD did not intend to release the ADCU die to gamers. They're going to save that for the professional market. So I think it's going to be limited stock for that model. Yeah. Which is fine, because with Rage Mode, the 6800 XT will probably match or buy a hair edge out the 3080. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. what I If money isn't an issue, just buy the fun thing that you want. Well, also, it seems like it. they all have 16 gigabit per second memory. Yeah. So although the cache seems to massively remove the bottleneck of bandwidth, I would still point out that like in 1440p, I think the 6900 XT in Rage Mode will be like a linear performance increase over the 6800 XT almost. Like a straight 10, 15% more. And look, if money's no object, you'll want that extra 15% if you're trying to game at 240 hertz. And I think this will be a 240 hertz 1440p gaming card. I, I do. Uh, I mean, yeah. There, You have to turn down a couple settings probably, but I, I always say, who cares? Do it. Turn down a couple settings. Don't worry about it. Uh, I mean, yeah, I would say go for it based on the benchmarks. It looks like it's reasonably stronger for the price. And once again, money's not an issue. So price performance isn't that big of a deal. Well, not, it's, yeah, it's not good price performance, but I guess you're paying one, two, three, four. Yeah, like 50% more. Yeah, literally like 50% more for like, Bit, you know, 10 to 20% more performance. But hey, if, if money is no object, this will, this is a 1440p 200 hertz card. I think. Yeah. The Stickbug Syndicate writes in and says, Hey, Tom, harking back to your interview with the employee from Sapphire, he hinted at Navi Chris Christie, aka Big Navi, marking the return of their talk. Dan likes that joke, toxic series of cards. Have you gotten any confirmation on this or is this still up in the air? And I've, I saw someone else. I think in reader mail today at the last minute mentioned, hey, get that guy back on. Um, you know, I, I have him down as a potential candidate for a holiday guest actually again. And so we'll see if I can, but I have not heard anything of it yet. I will say this though, I'm pretty sure after overclocking some golden samples of these cards should hit 2.6 gigahertz. 
I hope they put out right. a 32 gigabyte, 2.6 gigahertz toxic. They should, because they'll they could command 1500 for it. I mean, uh, easily. when when was the last time they put out a toxic? Was that have been the th- 200 series? I think it may have been like the the 390x okay. or even 200. Yeah, no, I think it may be the 290x, and that one had eight gigabytes. I mean, I would say this is the first time since the at, at least. The, 390x that i think it would be warranted for them to put out a toxic version and i would love to see them revive that uh, model because it's just stupid <laughs> they would have to get almost an okay from amd because yeah. i know their professional card is 32 gigabytes but i bet amd wouldn't care they're like yeah sure make your 400 watt 32 gigabyte <laughs> card i don't think the professional market's that interested in, a, <laughs> in that and yeah i mean look i i wouldn't rule out that that a toxic if it was truly the golden samples like the Toxic 7970 was, I would not rule out a 2.6 gigahertz, give it 18 gigabit per second memory. I, I could see this thing at stock settings being 10% stronger than a 3090 and having 32 gigabytes. Honestly, it would be tempting for me <laughs> just because that's just so awesome. Yeah. Bry and a mage uh, writes, says, Hi, Tom and Dan. Do you know of any possibility of multi-GPU with RDNA 2? I expect 3 my call of fame to get a shakeup in the next month, but I think the multi-card scoreboards will remain dominated by 3090s. No, I don't, and I think it's dead. They didn't talk about that. At, I, I assume they wouldn't, but they didn't talk about that at all in the press conference, right? Yeah, I think, I think what we're about to see is the low point of multi-GPU support, which will be 2020 through 2021. But as DirectX 12 becomes standard, hopefully we'll see a bunch of games just implicitly support it. Um, I mean, yeah, that would be cool to see. But I wouldn't, I just, yeah, I mean, in the short term, I don't think getting two of them is in the cards is making any sense because it's, look, guys, multi-GPU is dead. Yeah. You got NVIDIA marketing Gears of War 4 support when Gears of War 5 is out. Like, <laughs> it's just straight up, nah. All right, finally to story number two. The RTX 3070 is reviewed. An 8 gigabyte 2080 Ti. And I've got a write-up here. On October 27th, the first wave of 3070 reviews hit. In short, the 3070 performs exactly like an RTX 2080 Ti when its VRAM buffer isn't an issue. In summary, the 3070 slightly wins versus the 2080 Ti in 1440p. It roughly ties in 4K when VRAM isn't a problem, and it is 20% more efficient than the 2080 Ti, a first for Ampere. Does not offer any better RT or DLSS performance over the 3080, though, which is something that I would especially highlight as this is literally the same rasterization performance as a Turing card, and the Ray tracing performance is not any better. To me, this directly points to the 3080 only having better ray tracing performance relative to rasterization versus Turing because its CUDA cores are underutilized. Uh, Did you see these reviews, Dan? you have any uh, hot takes here? Uh, I mean, the one thing I would say is it still does point to its per SM (laughs) ray tracing is better, but that's the strongest claim you can make. And even that, I did the math, and it's like 60% better. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Per SM ray tracing, I guess, is better. Yeah, and it, yeah. it's still, though, it's only like 70% better. Which is what they said, though. They said oh, 70% okay. Maybe better I, mis- I thought they said the like 1.9. I just must have misremembered. No, that's their efficiency, which that oh, was completely okay. made up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know how much I have to say. Like, yeah, you, you, <laughs> I like the title of this section, an 8 gigabyte 2080 Ti. That's what this is. It's funny how 
And I said this in the Discord yesterday, like, or which would have been the 27th, everybody. Like, it's funny how little I have to say about this new graphics card. I mean, it's, I would say it's, seems like it's the closest to what they were selling at that, when the, at that uh, launch event uh, versus what the reality is. I don't know. So that's good. It seemed like the reviews for it were a lot more positive than the 3080 and 3090 in general. Yeah, it's funny though. I'll say this too. You point out per SM, it is 70% better. It just goes to show that if this was on TSMC and clock like 30% faster or something, yeah. it could be a significantly better lineup, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, it definitely would be. And, and remember on TSMC, I suspect they could have afforded to go with the full clocks on GDR6X, which could have boosted performance <laughs> even further. Uh, anyways, let's move on to story number three. Evidence emerges pointing to NVIDIA redoing their Ampere lineup. And here is a, another write-up I did. Five days ago, Moore's Law is Dead put out an update on Ampere November availability and the ultimate play narrative. In short, NVIDIA was indeed supplying far more cards right before RDNA 2 launched. But while the 3090 numbers hadn't changed, and by the way, guys, I got an update as of literally this recording that, no, no the 3090 numbers I reported in that Ampere availability video are correct you know, around 35,000. The 3080 and 3070 numbers were reduced, which I can also verify. Yeah, I mean, I got more info on that. (laughs) Very reduced. Um, Yet those dies have to be somewhere in Moore's Law's Dead's opinion. The 3070, 16 gigabyte, and 3080, 20 gigabyte were suddenly canceled as well. And sources are confident NVIDIA has no problems getting as much GDR6X and GDR6 as they need. So what's up, right? We know 3090 numbers are the same. We know VRAM supply of both versions is not an issue, and yet we know they're crazy reducing 3080 shipments. My theory that I proposed is that NVIDIA is holding back dies in the event they need to redo their Ampere lineup, and the new rumors that come out since that video showing a 3070 Ti 10 gigabyte and 3080 Ti 12 gigabyte, to me, add more credence to that's what's going on. Um, it is also, though, worth pointing out that these could be Max-Q versions of desktop cards for the laptop market, but in this writer's opinion, there is a very good chance at this point after the RDNA reveal that it is NVIDIA redoing their segmentation. I mean, I guess I wonder, like, when do you think this would come out then? So that's a good question. And I can't say the, the updated numbers. I can, I can say the 3090 numbers because I can tell you they haven't changed from that video. But I can't, I'm not allowed to say the 3080 and the 3070 numbers. Um, I mean, the 3070 stock is basically a normal launch, kind of. So I'll say that to you guys. Um, um, maybe slightly less than a normal launch, but the 3080 is still crazy low. Um, I don't know. I think your guy, you guys are going to see more cards mid-November. And if they're going to rush out these new cards, I think the soonest they could launch is like a paper launch in December, probably next to the 6900 XT. That's my guess. I don't think they can do anything before that. I mean, I, they could they do. They time. could like do a paper launch to try to undercut the release of the thirty nine. Not thirty. They the could. That's what I would say. Is I, I wouldn't rule. I guess, and I guess that yeah. I guess December's a month from now, so I guess I could see a paper launch of the thirty seventy Ti and thirty eighty Ti right around Big Navi's launch, and they could tease it a week before too. Yeah. So I, I mean, if they really rush, I guess they could have something. But to but when them. would they arrive? I think mid. Mid December before Christmas, probably. Yeah, and don't and don't rule out how aggressive Nvidia can be rushing changes. They are known to be just crazy workhorses when they need to switch up things. I mean, I guess I don't know the other option because I don't know if they 
with this story, it would imply they're also soft canceling the 30, not canceling, they're discontinuing the 3070. Like, could they, do you think they could continue to sell the 3070 for like 450 or something instead? Or I, I don't know <laughs> if know, a, a price drop a month after I, release I, looks, I, a day after release <laughs> looks good. But so if I was NVIDIA, yeah, I, I think you launched the 3070 Ti 10 gigabyte. I think they would just sell it for 600, even though I think that's a worse option than the 6800 because it has less memory. But it would for sure probably be slightly stronger at stock. Maybe not with Rage Mode, though. Maybe the same as the 6800 with Rage Mode. So I think they'd probably put that... I, I don't know, Dan. I think there's room for them to possibly just put that at 600 and then release the 3080 Ti 12 gigabyte for 800. 20% more than the 3080 for two gigabytes more and 10% more performance. I And they, they, they can claim, you know, it's about the same as the other one. You know, so I think that's probably what they would do. Yeah, and then they would have uh, their, honestly, kind of going back to what it used to be like. I mean, oh, it's slightly stronger, but way worse price performance. And I guess that looks better than whatever they have right now, which is... <laughs> I mean, look, yeah, you, you ask me what they should be doing. I think that the 3080 should be price dropped to 650 and then they should release the, 7, 8, the 3080 Ti for 750 which was the price, I believe, of the 780 Ti. So that's what I would do. You know, 750 for a 3080 Ti, 650 for the 3080 which I think they could probably stomach that price drop. I think they could. Mm-hmm. And then also releasing a 3070 Ti for like 550 and price dropping the 3070 to 450. But we'll find out tomorrow because I think that one reason they put the AIB reviews after that is they might say, we're now announcing AIB versions are actually 450. Oh, I mean, I guess you could see that. Which I've heard that the uh, Founders Edition cooler for the 3070 is crazy nice. Again, I mean, I, I looked at... It looks pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, looking at some of those reviews, it looks very nice. <laughs> So I think, I guess that we'll see. I'd say if you see, we'll find out tomorrow. If you see the announcement that some AIB models are 450, then I would say, oop, yep, they might do a 3080, 650. I mean, a $50 price drop to the uh, 3080 and then, you know, kind of adjust down their lineup a bit. I don't think they need to do anything with the 3090, though. I think they're only selling so many of those cards and people are just going to buy them because they're technically the flagship anyway. I mean... Yeah, the people who want to buy those are people that I don't think care about one or two hundred dollars, or five hundred, or, or a thousand, two thousand, or whatever. Feo two X writes in and says, "Hey Tom and Dan, regarding the DigiTimes report about Nvidia moving their lineup to TSMC seven nanometer, I personally don't buy it. When you talk to Daniel Nenny, didn't he say that developing for a certain manufacturer and node would at least take one point five to two years? Well, he also said that, in, and other people have said this too, like John Petty, that Nvidia can rush out things in six months if they have to. Or is it possible for Nvidia to easily adapt GA one hundred to move? And I assume you mean GA one hundred two um, to move to TSMC." faster. And again, guys, a GA100 is not a gaming card. It doesn't even have outputs. Mm-hmm. So that will not be anything. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, uh, I don't buy that they're just moving a whole lineup to TSMC when there's zero capacity. There's, there's, no, there's not enough capacity available in six months. I don't. I do think, though, that they could do a GA102, some version of it, a new hard design of it on TSMC. 
And then that could be something like 30% better than what they have now. And then they'll just take GA-102 and just bump things up and clock it lower so it's not so inefficient. And then bump, basically bump the whole lineup down a bracket and then release something 30% stronger called RTX 4000. I mean, I, I think that's the... That's what they kind of did with Fermi. I so. mean, I don't understand. I think that's like the only possible outcome of if they're moving their right. lineup to TSMC. It's not... And maybe I'm misunderstanding what some people are thinking, but it's not like they're just going to start making the 3080 on TSMC. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to story number four. Um, All right. Story number four. Mining versions of RDNA 1 and Turing show up during the start of another Bitcoin bull run. Uh, Let's see. I did a write-up here. Let's see if it was any good. To say the world's institutions are going through a rough patch right now would be an understatement. Some people have decided to stockpile toilet paper, while others look to alternative currencies like Bitcoin. Bitcoin, of course, is not effectively mineable by gaming GPUs anymore, but Ethereum can still be mined by GPUs and traded for it. And AIB seem to be cashing in at the start of another crypto bull run again. In short, XFX seemingly has been directly selling their GPUs to mining firms. Mining purpose Turing cards are being prepared. And at Moore's Law is Dead has independently heard, and I have, yeah, I've heard that there are custom Navi 10 mining cards coming soon as well. Also, a link in the description shows a report on Tech Power Up showing this as well. So I don't know that I have much to say. I just point this out because it's like, I think this is actually good. Yep, please make as many 12 nanometer mining cards as you want. Apparently, they're not even that much less efficient than Ampere at mining and leave the newest gaming cards to the gamers. I mean, yeah, it sounds... I see this as a good thing. It does sound good. And if I'm remembering correctly, well, you just alluded to it. Ampere is not good at mining, right? I mean, I think it can get over 100 mega hash in Ethereum, so higher than the Radeon 7, but that's using over 300 watts, whereas my Radeon 7 uses like 150, 200. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying like it can't do it, but for the price and energy use, which... That's what these mining farms care about. It they I, I it doesn't sound like a viable option. Yeah. And, Especially now, guys, I, I want to point out that right now mining is not half as profitable as it was when I had all those mining rigs a couple of years ago. It's not half as profitable. <laughs> <laughs> so power usage really matters now. And I still don't see this bull run of bringing us to the same levels of a craze for mining cards as before. You know, when I look at like if let me pull up coin market cap. If I look at this here, yeah, Bitcoin continues to gain dominance. Bitcoin is rising faster than Ethereum, as I expected it would, and said it would in the article. By the way, that's like over a year old now. I think I put out a Bitcoin uh, article just so you guys know if you want to check it out on MoresLawsDead.com. So you know, I I I wouldn't be as worried about a mining, you know, mining destroying gaming price card prices again and and seeing cards like this it's like we've seen this how many times now there's the litecoin one and then the ethereum one i mean yeah i mean like we have mining purpose cards before people are even buying up the gaming ones that's a good thing yeah i mean especially if they're a bunch of people are going to be buying the like you said 12 nanometer turing cards for mining well that leaves all the capacity on seven nanometer for for us gamers bro (laughs) (laughs) yeah for the gamers bro the Republic of Gamers under King Asus. I that is the one thing I don't like about my laptop is that when I open it, I have to see a little yeah. thing that says Republic of Gamers on. <laughs> I have a Republic of Gamers coaster that came with the motherboard I used for the 3950X build, and I showed it to a, our friend Brock, and he's like, "This is hilarious." You also, I'm like, Brock, put your beer on this coaster. 
You're now in the Republic of Games. You also gave me a like door tag thing that says do not disturb. I can't remember what it's. It's like do not disturb. Oh, yeah. It's like do not disturb champion in action. And it was like, and then and then if you flip it over, it, it said champion to rest. Please enter. <laughs> I that's awesome. I want to know if anyone ever used one of those unironically. Probably, Dan. Someone, someone did. did. I, you know, sometimes the stereotypes of gamers comes from something. Although, again, at the same time, I there are so many people I see begging for just professional-looking gaming laptops instead of these, like, you know, toy-looking laptops that I wonder if it's just companies think we're idiots. Or, I mean, I think, it, I think the aesthetic... Aesthetics change over time, and we're going through a, a period where people prefer a more subtle look than they used to. Yeah. Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great windows and gaming keys you need at CDK Offers. I have a plan. Go to cdkoffers.com to get all the Windows Professional and Microsoft Office keys you need, and games as well. Add them to your cart, and you can even apply one of them city slicker promotional codes like Dashrink for 3% off software and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. I do have an account on this website, and it is ultra easy to use. Just submit your order, use PayPal, credit card, or Bitcoin, and go to Windows website to download Microsoft Professional. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They are a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. Story number five. Intel 2021 Gaming GPU Whispers. Can ZHPG save mid-range GPU prices? So this was my leak on Intel DG2 graphics cards coming out next year. And here's the write-up. On October 20th, Moore's Law is Dead put out a short report on what to expect from Intel gaming GPUs in 2021. In summary, if things go as planned for Intel... It should be around 3070 to 3080 performance, somewhere in there. Uh, 16 gigabytes of GDR6 over a 256-bit bus. Plan for TSMC 6 nanometer EUV. Apparently very good at encoding and launching around mid-2021. Again, all of this assumes things go as planned. Conclusion, my conclusion from talking to many sources that disagreed with each other on how well DG2 will turn out is that it's likely to launch to consumers in some form, but we shouldn't expect it to work out at the very top in some manner, whether it's, I guess it's at TSMC, so yields I wouldn't worry about, whether it's peak, whether the efficiency is good, you know, or if it is closer to a 3070 instead of a 3080. Um, But yeah, so that's the consensus, I would say, about how it will turn out. And I would say it's worth emphasizing still, even though that doesn't sound that great, that it could just end up being a complete disaster and not coming out, or 
really just being an RX 6800 that launches a year after the RX 6800? Because that's kind of what it sounds like to me. I, I mean, yeah. It, I don't know. If, if it this is what it ends up being, and it ends up being, especially if it ends up being closer to the 3080 in performance, and it doesn't use a dumb amount of energy. It's on TSMC 6 nanometers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, so you would probably hope it would be more efficient. Yeah, you're right. So... I think this would be met with a universal like thumbs up, like good job you did a you made a decent GPU. Like that's that's it. it it's not going to be some massive product, uh, and I would be surprised if it doesn't even come to D- the DIY market at all. But um, I don't know. Again, to summarize, I think best case scenario, and remember, it has ray tracing capabilities. Tiger Lake can ray trace. Um, it's just. <laughs> probably don't want to turn it on because it's so weak. <laughs> but, um, you know, this is way stronger than that. I, I, I would say best case scenario is in Intel launches something that's the performance of a 6800 XT, but uses around 150 to 180 watts and costs $400. Because I've also, I, ha- I was told they are targeting $400. So if they launch a, you know, 30% more efficient 6800 XT for $100, for 180 bucks less, and they actually get it out in June or something. Sure. Awesome. That would be sick. Yeah, that, that would be They well, don't need to take the performance crown. That would be really well received, I think, if they manage to do that. And, and we'll put a lot of pressure on the 6800 non-XT, the 3070, the 6700 XT. Because, again, I think that's worth kind of pointing out here how you're seeing what would be the upper mid-range 6800 kind of creeping up in price in the 3070 trying to just hold the 70 price at 500 when it used to be cheaper, even due to inflation, it should be a little cheaper. Like I think Intel jumping in with something that is almost high end at a mid range price could, you know, it's one thing to have AMD bring high end graphics cards back down below the $1,000 price point. Someone needs to bring mid range cards back down below 500. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And if Intel managed to do that, that would be, uh, that would be great. (laughs) Story number six, AMD Ryzen 7 5800X 8-core Zen 3 CPU is up to 11% faster than the Core i9-10900K and CPU-Z single-threaded benchmark. And I am quoting from WCCF Tech, the latest AMD Ryzen 7 5800X desktop CPU benchmarks have also appeared within CPU-Z, which shows unparalleled amounts of single-threaded benchmark performance gains for the Zen 3 chip against its predecessors and competition. In terms of single-core performance, the Ryzen 7 5800X scored 650 points, which would make it 11% faster than Intel's i9-10900K and a massive 25% faster than the AMD 3800X. Even against the Ryzen 9 3950X, the CPU maintains an average 25% relead. In multi-core performance tests, the Ryzen 7 5800X scored 6593 points, which is 18% faster than the Ryzen 7 3800X and 17% faster than the Ryzen 7 3800X. At the same time, the i9-10900K takes the lead where here with a 10% faster performance and multi-threaded workloads obviously only due to the higher number of cores and threads. So yeah, I mean, I had to get this in there, guys. Like so many people were like, why are you defending the 5800X's $450 price point? And it's like, well, look, it's a more efficient 10900K on a better, cheaper platform. 
Like, what do you want from me? <laughs> like everyone's demonstrated they'll pay up to $600 or more for the top gaming CPU and AMD noticed. So if you want AMD to lower prices on the 5800X, stop buying a gaming CPU you don't need the extra 5% performance for. Um, I don't know, Dan, what do, you, what do you have to say about this story? Why would they charge less than $450? They could probably have an MSRP of 500 and get away with it for uh, this thing's performance. I mean, I guess we'll see once we start getting into real reviews for it. But yeah, this is a... I don't know. It might be better than the 10900K in gaming. Who knows? <laughs> it's it, it certainly seems like it. And I also have a link in here that shows the 5600X beats the 10900K in single core. Yeah. So, well, there'll be plenty of games where the $300 5600X beats the 10900K. Yeah. So why are they charging what they're charging? Because they can and they could charge more, probably. <laughs> it's like, I, I guess my point is this. Uh, is it more than I wanted it to be? Yeah. Is it overpriced? Well, that that infers that it's overpriced relative to something, and it's priced lower than an Intel chip it's better than. So it's better in single core by 11%, and it's weaker in multi-core by 10%. It uses less energy. It's on a cheaper, better platform. I checked. I, I believe the LGA 1200 platform still just has 16 PCIe 3.0 lanes, like, I mean, no, yeah. it's, it's it's not good. It's like, this is a better product than the 10900K. And I believe there will be plenty of multi-core benchmarks where they're the same, I would guess. Yeah, you know, and, it, and it is what it is. If you need better multi for multi-threaded tasks, uh, then buy 5900X. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I so, yeah, I just wanted to point this out. It all... All, all indications are that Zen 3 is going to do a clean sweep of the game, of, of the everything, right? It's just yeah. going to be game over. And um, I will say this too I'm starting to get some more rumblings about Rocket Lake, and it really sounds like Intel isn't, might not have a lot of fanfare around it. Like there will be reviews and a launch event of some kind, but it's probably going to be way more low key than anything else they've done in the past. And they might just release it and have reviews go out. And then that's it. There's no big party or anything. I mean, I think if they can take, if Rocket Lake manages to take back the performance crown by a little I bit. I don't think it will, though. I think I, all indications would, but... are it's a 10% IPC increase. And it'll okay. maybe have the same clock speeds as Comet, like, although it's probably slightly less. So I think it's going to tie Zen 3 at best in gaming mm -hmm. while using the same energy as Comet. Like, like from what I've heard, the eight-core Rocket Lake could use the same energy as ten-core Comet Lake, so it's like it's it's come on, it's not not good, not good, no. And, and I don't know what to say there. You know, it's like I'm not here trying to champion AMD. It's just look, this is how ahead AMD is now, guys. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, this is the next the next six months to a year. AMD is going to just be dominating everything. I think. Hey guys, Tom just jumping in here with a little interstitial add-on. Uh, we recorded this before Intel officially announced Rocket Lake, which Usman of WCCF Tech was nice enough to reach out on Twitter and say that, yeah, my Cypress Cove info was correct. Intel has officially announced Rocket Lake as Cypress Cove, as I covered in a leak at the beginning of this year. So that's another vindicating leak that's exciting to see there. And 
I guess I just felt I had to add that into this since we talked about Rocket Lake for a few minutes and give you guys a quick update on what is officially announced. And I mean, it's basically everything we said, though, right? They say double-digit performance IPC improvement. So I'm just going to say that like 10 to 20% that's always been quoted is correct. And I would lean towards it being much closer to that 10%, if not literally 10%. And I do think that is what it will be. Um, and then if I just go down the list on WCCF Tech's article, which again, links will be in the description. Um, you know, it's a hybrid of Ice Lake and Tiger Lake, as expected, but then, of course, ported to 14 nanometers, so it's its own thing. That's why it's Cypress Cove. Uh, it says, for some reason, this is its own bullet point, better gen-over-gen performance. I guess that's something Intel brags about now, and they increase performance at all. And then 20 uh, PCIe 4.0 lanes through the CPU. So, I mean, yeah, again, like just kind of catching up to X570 IO. There's, I saw they have updated USB support. Um, and and the, I'm sure the integrated graphics will be, you know, pretty close to, I would imagine, uh, the slower Tiger Lake graphics on laptop. Remember, 32 execution units, as far as I know. But, you know, at the same time, it will be clocked way, way, way faster than what you can get in a laptop, most likely, at sustained speed. So, yeah, I mean, that's about it. And And I guess the last thing I would mention is no mentions here of clock speeds just says better performance gen over gen so i think what you're going to see is about a 10 maybe 11 12 percent ipc increase over um sky lake slash coffee lake slash comet lake and you're going to see clock speeds slightly lower than before in same power usage or maybe slightly less than the 10 core so overall it's basically a 5800x that uses more energy i don't actually see this beating it in gaming by more than a couple percentage this is just again a less efficient 5800x coming out a quarter late there's yeah uh yul rika writes in and now what's that symbol is a greek symbol after his name omega okay yul rika omega writes in and says i primarily game at 4k 60 or 1440p 120 i have an lg c9 so 4k at 120 would be nice someday if i get hdmi 2.1 I currently have an X570 motherboard with a 3600, and I will be getting a 3080 or AMD equivalent. I'm planning on jumping to Zen 3, but I'm not sure which CPU to get. Should I get a 5600, which is rumored to launch for 220 uh, in a few months, uh, simply for the IPC increase over my existing 6-core, or do you think there'd be a noticeable jump in gaming getting the 5800? Well, I mean, there would be a noticeable jump in gaming. Look, the consoles have 8 cores. That's the standard. So... If you wanted to exceed the consoles, you would want Zen 3 8-core, whereas they have Zen 2, and it's clocked faster. So, But at the same time, I have to say again, I, I feel like I keep answering questions the same with the Keep answering different questions with this answer. Is your 3600 not capable of doing 120 hertz right now? I mean, yeah, it's... It's probably pretty close. So just wait for Zen 3 to come down in price next year. I'd, 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 that's my honest-to-God advice. Unless there's a specific game you really want to game on, do you really want to play a lot this winter then sure but again it's like unless you're doing 240 hertz then i say run out and get zen 3 because it's possible (laughs) now but yeah unless you're doing 240 hertz i think i think you just you know i I think 3600 is probably doing 120 hertz fine yeah i mean i agree i don't see a reason to go out and spend what 450 dollars on a 5800 i don't think so right now and again and again and it's like Right now, I'm guessing this runs all your games at 120 hertz. 
will it for the whole console generation? Of course not. I don't, I've been outspoken that I think the consoles are powerful and you're going to need more than eight cores eventually. But I mean, eventually. There, there will be cheaper options by then. Who knows? Maybe you'll just wait till Zen 4. Like, I don't know. I mean, if you want to upgrade now, I, I feel like like you, you suggest waiting till Rocket Lake for prices to come down and then get a 5800X subsequently. The Boston Beast writes in and says, do you think there will be a benefit to the Zen 3 8-core CCD parts, you know, so 5800X and 5950X, over the 6-core 5900X, which could introduce latency since it's dual cut-down 6-cores? Um, I don't think so. No, I, I don't think, you know, I think we suspected that might happen with Zen 2, but it didn't. Like, there were some games where the 3900X was better with hyper-threading on. There were some where it wasn't. And then the 3800X didn't really do much better most of the time. I think effectively it'll be like, I think, I don't think so. I think it's going to be good enough at putting the proper threads on the right cores, on the right CCD, and then offloading background a bit to the other cores when needed. I, I don't, I don't think it's going to be an issue. I mean, I, I, the question I would ask is, was there evidence of this previously uh, with, I, I know that it, the organization is, isn't exactly the same this time, but was there evidence of that with the 3900X or no? You could say there might have been one game where there was, but then there'd be games where it outperformed the 3800X. Yeah. So, I, I mean, so the way I would put it is if it was already a pretty minor issue, I would expect it to either, that issue to either remain the same, practically non-existent, or be more resolved in later iterations. <laughs> What I would say is this. Are you only getting this to game on and are you trying to do above 144 hertz gaming? Then get the 5800X. Yeah. Do you need a bunch of cores? Then get the 5900X. Are you still doing 120 hertz gaming and already have a decent CPU? Probably don't need to buy anything right now, guys. I mean, yeah, I would agree. If you don't need a ton of cores, which I think it's kind of funny saying eight cores isn't a lot at this point. I mean, get yeah, yeah, those get peasant eight, core. eight cores. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, get the eight core if, this is primarily for gaming. Potatoes are life rights in and says, any rumors on when we will see Milan, Zen 3, Epic, or Threadripper? Uh, well, I mean, I'm pretty sure they'll ship Epic before the end of the year. I think they said they will. Um, but I am starting to get access to a couple people with engineering samples of Zen 3 Threadripper, just so you guys know. Um, I mean, what I would say is this. Um, I'll probably have an update on Milan Threadripper before the end of the year, or at least in January. But that's all I can say. And in other words, it's not coming out this year. So, you know, you'll get an update. There will, of course, be a Zen 3 Threadripper. And guys, spoiler alert, it'll go up to 64 cores and it's <laughs> going to be the best at everything like you expect it to be. But outside of that, there's not much to report. and It's not this year. So I wouldn't, you know, if you're waiting for it, I hope you're willing to wait till possibly mid next year because there's no reason for AMD to rush this out. Heck, they just launched the 8-channel memory 64-core Threadripper. Yeah, I mean, AMD doesn't need to really rush to do anything when it comes to CPUs. At Although I've heard that version's practically Lenovo only, by the way. Oh, so in like, uh, I don't know, so in like OEM designs exclusively for Lenovo? No, Lenovo OEM designs exclusively. Okay, jeez, okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the more I hear, the more it sounds like Lenovo's very close to, becoming very close to AMD. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. All right, well, let us move on to story number seven. 
TSMC to enter mass production of sixth-generation COWoS packaging in 2023. Up to 12 HBM stacks will be possible on a single graphics card. Quoting from Tech Power Up, TSMC, the world's leading semiconductor manufacturing company, is rumored to start production of its sixth-generation chip-on wafer-on-substrate packaging technology. As the silicon scaling is getting ever so challenging, the manufacturers have to come up with a way to get as much performance as possible to our TSMCs, COWOS, and other chiplet technologies come in. They allow designers to integrate many integrated circuits on a single package, making for a cheaper overall product compared to if the product used one big die. So what is so special about this, you might wonder? The new generation is said to enable 12 stacks of HBM, on a single die package, you're reading that right. It would am- allow for HBM2E variants with 16 gigabyte per second capacity to hit 192 gigabytes of memory on a single graphics card. I mean, it's a little funny. It makes me think back to uh, this earlier this summer when um, there was all of this big hubbub about the PS5 early discussions about well, what are what's going to happen with uh, graphics cards and gaming. And I mean, it could just be, what if you put the entire fucking game on the RAM buffer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like, no, so this won't be standard in high-end cards, even for gamers. Yeah, for in a, a while. You know, for like five years. But it's like, yeah, but you can see a situation where in like six years, they start putting out like, you know, 128 gigabyte HBM3 cards. And this is just with HBM2E, so who knows what would be how many, you know, what the capacity would be per stack by then. Anyways, you know, I mean, yeah, I, at the end of the day, I, I just think this is really exciting because it's like, just understand, like, I really think with AMD entering the high-end market again, where this, what do we say, uh, like, lack of scaling and VRAM capacity is going to stop. It was going up pretty fast for a while, and then it just kind of halted at eight gigabytes because of NVIDIA yeah. having a monopoly. And it's now we have 16 gigabytes. AMD is launching 32 gigabyte professional cards, while NVIDIA is 48 gigabyte ones. Would not surprise me if there's high end cards at the end of next year that are 32, 48 gigabytes. Yeah, I mean, it's very exciting to see how big this is going to get. And by the way, I know what was it? Uh, there was a in one of my Intel graphics card leaks, they were talking about a 128 gigabyte card in under two years, I believe. So. I mean, it's like that's how thing uh, technology kind of works in general. Is things rapidly accelerate, then they settle down at a new paradigm for a while, and then they rapidly accelerate again. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, it looks like we're in one of those crazy stages, and it doesn't seem to be stopping ever. But <laughs> Mihu writes in and says, I "Hope I said that right." Hi, do you have any information about the amount of CPU cache in the consoles? How much is the CPU performance improved by maybe large amounts of cache on a monolithic die compared to Zen 2 and Renoir? Um, Well, Renoir is monolithic. And knowing about Zen 2 loves fast memory, how will GDR6 affect CPU performance? How much stronger must a desktop PC be to actually beat the monolithic APU sharing GDR6 in CPU and GPU gaming performance? So, yeah, I mean, we still don't have that hot chips deep dive of the actual die of the PS5 yet. I believe the PS4s came out pretty late. Like, Sony doesn't usually see a need to tell you absolutely everything until well after the console's out. I guess what I would say is we still don't know how much cash is in the PS5 unless someone has a die shot I'm not aware of. 
I always heard that it could have a unified, almost Zen 3-like cache system. And I believe we now know the PS5 has a die size of like 308 millimeters squared. So when I look at that, 40 compute units, like the size of the dies, and then like what the die size, and then kind of comparing that to the fact that that's over half as big as um, RDNA2's graphics card. It's like, yeah, I think there might be room that they may have given it a little more cash than they needed to, and maybe there's a unified cash share between the graphics card and the CPU in the PS5, but I'm not sure yet until we see a die shot. What I do know is the Xbox Series X does not seem to have a unified cache. It is a strictly Renoir-like design, as far as I can tell. In fact, it may even have more spread out than Renoir's is, to be honest. And as far as I saw in the Xbox Series X design, I don't see that infinity cache, guys. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. We And we can't really say anything about the PS5 until Sony gets a little bit less cagey, I suppose. <laughs> but Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, outside of that, all I can say is, I mean, to directly answer your question, I just wouldn't worry about needing to compete with GDR6 or anything like that right now. What I would say is, Right now, just look at the requirements for games. They're built to run on PC and consoles. When you need to compete with, you know, the architecture the PS5 is kind of put together, this kind of like next-gen server <laughs> SSD, <laughs> like, you know, and, and the I.O. Uh, controllers just... I mean, long-term, yeah, you'll probably need like 12 Zen 3 cores, but that's long-term, not right now. So I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, and hopefully by then, I don't know, there are some types of solutions to it anyways. but Like Zen 4? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Willie Ram writes in and says, Hi there, Tom and Dan. Waving emoji. Could you elaborate on what, how and why the new consoles will allow for bigger and more complex worlds? Everyone is talking about the fringe benefits, pretty pictures, and ignoring the deeper gameplay inter- and reactivity we can expect in that. Well, yeah, so I think this is something I've gone over a dozen times. I'm going to have NX Gamer on again, by the way, guys, after the consoles come out. So that'll be exciting to kind of look at them after they launch and, you know, what our thoughts are. But I would, I would recommend listening to that and then the Next Gen SSD Talk podcast, one of the most popular broken silicons, uh, to kind of get an idea, especially that one, actually. But I mean, just to reiterate, you know, to, to restate what we said in those podcasts, I mean, effectively, at least the way the PlayStation 5 works is it can stream in the full RAM buffer in under two seconds and the parts it needs to stream in for rendering, it seems, in under a second, meaning... And again, the, look, the, look, guys, watch the Road to PS5 video. Mark Cerny talks about it. He will tell you what this will allow, Willie Ram. He says it was built to load in assets before you turn your character around. So that completely changes the concept of like what a view distance limitation would be and how much you have to render literally at once, right? I don't know what else you would add on to that, Dan. The, or, or the way I would put it, it, and it kind of changes the concept of like load times too. So if you can quote unquote load parts of the world that are behind you as you're turning to look at them, that kind of can fundamentally change the way you design a game. I mean, like, look at the Ratchet and Clank demo where they yeah. literally pull in another level instantly and jump in it. You can't do that. You know, I know there's games like Titanfall 2 and I believe the medium uh, that have these levels where, like, you kind of switch between worlds, but really they're just changing textures. Yeah. Like, and moving enemies in and out. It's not the same as literally jumping. Like, you could have a portal game that's open world 
And like you literally instantly jump to the other end of the map. And there and it's not like no, it's not just that there's no load time. The concept of the load time's just gone because it's all loading from 800 gigabytes of an SSD that has higher bandwidth than DDR2. This is like an 800 gigabyte of RAM console for certain, not all things, not all things, but for certain tasks. And so it's like, it's not really loading to jump through the portal. It's just as long as the CPU can keep track of everything going on on this big open world map, at once you just kind of look through the portal and it's there. Like, you know, it's, you know, it's just, it fundamentally removes uh, just the concept of one bottleneck the storage bottleneck that we've had to deal with well forever. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, how much will that change games and practice? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it gets rid of the certain things that you think uh, that you're so used to in games that you don't even realize that what they're doing, like, I don't like The Last of Us, those uh, garage doors <laughs> that you need to open at seemingly pretty oh, consistent intervals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we were just playing Gears of War 5, and it's like, yeah, it's interesting how it seems like every 10 minutes I have to help you up over a ledge. Yeah, those are hit. Those are like hit and load screens. So the other thing I'll say is I was, one reason it took, we're recording late today, Dan, is I was talking to a potential guest that might come on this year as well, who is a game developer, finally. And he's Ooh. worked on some of our favorite games, Dan. Uh, I'll tell you what they are. I can't say here. But uh, yeah, there's some there's some really cool stuff, and it's not Sony or Microsoft, but he does have friends at both Sony or Microsoft, so he has some pretty interesting things to say. And that's the, that's the last thing I will say, though, is I, and guys, I'm just being fair here. He said that the velocity architecture is not even close. So I I'm mean, just being honest, guys, I don't know how many times we got to reiterate. I mean, look at the graphics between the demos they're showing. I don't know what to tell you guys. That's what he says. I, don't, I have like five developers now saying that, but. Just being honest. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, it's kind of getting to a point where it feels like you're beating a dead horse with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't want to dwell on it because some people get mad for me simply reporting the news, but that's the news. And that brings us to story number eight. And I just titled this, The Next Gen Console Launch Looms. Um, so I have a, a couple stories here, but basically I just want to directly address, this is a very graphics card heavy episode. I know that there's a, we're on the precipice of a new console launch and I usually do more console coverage. That's going to come in November guys. Well, I mean, yeah, that's when all the fun news comes out about the consoles. It, it, it is weird though, that we're what, like 17 days out, something like that from the new console launch. And it only happens every four to six years. It's exciting. Or four to seven, really. I mean, yeah, the the only thing is that I think it's a bit less exciting for me this time around because I'm still trying to get a PS5. So uh, there's a good chance I won't be able to get it day one. I mean, it'll still be an exciting day no matter what, but hopefully I'm able to get one. Well, and on that note, I will just say this too. This idea that the next-gen consoles won't sell as well as the previous gen seems highly unlikely. Sony just confirmed in an article in the description from Reuters that they've already outsold in pre-orders the first 12 weeks of PlayStation 5 sales. So we're talking over 5 million sold at least. I would have to check the numbers. I just know like the PS5 sold like 5 million the first week. So I I don't know what it would be at now. So this idea that it's not going to... As far as we can tell, these consoles are going to at least at first outsell less gen. I mean, it's surprising to me that this uh, that purchases of consoles wouldn't be depressed. But I don't know. They seem people seem to be wanting to buy these 
more than they were before when we weren't living through a uh, global pandemic. <laughs> you know, I think the most exciting thing about the PlayStation 4, at the very least, was the price. I think this generation's more exciting because of the idea of entirely new games and the fact that finally there will be no, no, no compromises. You know, at least again, you know, it seems like the Xbox will have like 10 second load times and then the PlayStation's just removing them. Whereas last gen, we had, I mean, what, one minute load times sometimes. And, and then at the same time, it's like whether it's 4K or 1800p, we're getting high resolutions at 60 frames and the developers want to make it 60 frames, which that's all their conversation that annoys me that some developers are still choosing 30 frames as a target. Which again, the, the other thing I would say about that, which means, yep, so that means your PC one's probably not going to run that well as well. I hate that. But but it seems like higher refresh rates and resolutions, low load times, that, and then just new types of games. This just reminds me much more of the generation before this generation where we saw entirely new genres and stuff. Well, not new genres, maybe, but like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I would say it kind of seems like the this the, the PS4 uh, Xbox One Gen kind of feels like a continuation of the PS360 generation where it's, it's yeah. definitely a lot better. It, it's like, it's the uh, the talk of the tick, to go back to Intel's old <laughs> analogy. Uh, it, it's the refinement of like the concepts that you could have in the PS360 gen, just done, executed in a way more polished manner. And I just saw in this write-up, that you were mentioning PS5 unboxings and... Oh, yeah, I haven't watched any of these unboxings or anything, guys. Like, so I have no comment. Oh, I, I just wanted to bring up a funny thing I noticed. I watched the IGN unboxing of the Xbox Series X and the PS5, and it's very clear that they wanted him... Sony wanted him to wear, like, anti-fingerprint glove things so that huh. he wouldn't smudge the console because he, like... <laughs> did like a really labored like putting on the gloves and then he was constantly mentioned throughout the video and we don't want to get fingerprints on this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, when you see editors and writers uh, <laughs> drop, say that, they're definitely throwing a jab at their handler at Sony. Yeah, I know. I just found that funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is funny. Okay, that is all of the stories. Less than there has been recently, but I thought they were all big boys. Oh, wait. Actually, as I scroll down, yeah, I guess I'll say I, there's also more references that the PlayStation 5 supports 1440p, which I think is worth pointing out. I know people in our Discord have been asking that a bunch. So I just want to throw that out there as well, guys. And there's a link in the description. But let's get to the final reader mails. Tactical Gumby writes in and says, Yo, Tom, just finished Daniel Nenny's book, Fabulous. The book was published in 2013 and features a chorus of industry leaders talking about what they believe the future of the semi-industry will look like. The most common theme by far is Internet of Things, with the projection of 10 billion today, 50 billion connected devices by 2020 being frequently cited. You know, we only have around 22 billion today in 2020. How and Why and how did people get it so wrong? And what is the deeper lesson that we should take away from that, given how self-assured things seem to seem to be in the industry all the time that don't pan out. Yeah, I mean, like, I remember getting my, one of the first smartwatches in 2013. So, and it was, I thought it was awesome. You know, it was before the Apple iWatch. Um, but uh, I think it was called the Smartwatch 1 by Sony or something. And, you know, that was cool. And that was around when I remember everyone saying Internet of Things, Internet of Things. And uh, especially in 2015, people were saying it constantly. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, smartwatches are here to stay. And I think Apple makes a lot of good ones. I think now, 
Well, I, think, I think I have a Fossil one now. I think Fossil makes some pretty great ones now, too. You have a Fossil smartwatch still? Um, Are smartwatches uh, considered Internet of Things devices? Yeah. Well, um, I don't know. Kind of. I, that, they, they, they're, real, they're ultra low power processors. Yeah. Okay. That's how I think of it, you know, and so, but yeah, no, we don't have like that one Microsoft commercial I remember with like the coffee cup with like the computer in it and all of that. You remember that? Yeah. And it's dumb. <laughs> Dan, a chromogen. Yeah, well, I have some thoughts. It's just, why aren't there 50 billion Internet of Things devices? And why were we so, ha- why were we so excited 10 years ago? 10, well, seven years ago, I guess. Uh, it's because we saw all the possible opportunities of that you could have with the Internet of Things, and then we realized how stupid a lot of those applications were. <laughs> I remember like, a parody version of that Microsoft video I brought up. Where it's like your morning cup of coffee in the newspaper, and it's like, which is great until your coffee cup gets a bug or your newspaper runs out of batteries. Or even do- worse, it's one of my friends who was a uh, computer engineer. He loved making fun of Internet of Things devices because. A lot of them were clearly just failed programmers trying to pivot to something else. Like uh, there was a doorbell, a smart doorbell company that was just sending data packets to an IP address in China on accident, so they, they could hack your doorbell. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. Or there's like a YouTube channel where I've seen some videos called "The Lock Picking Lawyer," where he looks at locks. And he looks at smart locks and he's like, yeah, this smart lock, it's hard to hack. And then he just hits it with a hammer and breaks it. Smart locks are stupid. Just use a mechanical lock. Oh, that's what. <laughs> that, yeah. That's, well, that's, that's what I said when we were playing Gears of War 5. It's like we were walking around, remember? And you use, I think the robot's name is Jack to hack into all these vaults. And he just hacks it and he's like, Wow, the future is so secure where a simple hovering robot can hack everything. Or, you know, they could have just used a steel lock and then they can't hack it. Yeah, exactly. Because those work. Like, mechanical locks work, guys. Yeah, and I don't ever see the Internet of Things taking over for that because it's completely unnecessary. So that's why I, I don't think it's the Internet of Things didn't fail. We just I think people were optimistic of how many things it could have. Of a new market, they could tell stop shareholders they were going to expand into. Like that, that's what I would say yeah. too. And and I would say, you know, there's a few things here. Number one, like remember, the better computers we get, the better manufacturing technology we get, the better mechanical devices we can also make in addition to the better computers. And some devices are like locks, like you talked about, are just intrinsically better mechanical. You're not. I don't want a, I don't want you to be able to hack my vault. Like it, I don't. Yeah, and people have come up with incredibly brilliant mechanical solutions to locks. You don't need to involve a computer. Yeah, and so so that's part of it. And and, and then the other thing is, yeah, just assuming we need any of this or people would pay. Like so, I I don't know that I pay any money for a smart coffee cup. Like literally any money. I see no value in having a smart coffee cup. I hear here. I would have a smart coffee cup if I never needed to charge it ever. It kept my coffee at the perfect temperature, and it costs only twice as much as a normal coffee cup. <laughs> like that's the only world. And even then, like I don't know, I pay twice as much. <laughs> I don't know, I pay twenty. I pay fifteen, maybe. You know. So, like, I think that's what you got to consider. Is it's like, can Internet of Things enable some things? Maybe, but am I willing to pay any amount of money for it? And I'm, I'm certainly not willing to charge it. 
Like I wasn't willing to get any smartwatches that didn't last for a few days or have a quick charging function. Like, and even then, I think most people don't want a smartwatch and I'm not a normal person for liking them so much. You know, so like that's why. And I think the takeaway is to actually answer one of Tactical Gumby's questions too is, I mean, look at folding phones. I think people just overestimate how quickly we'll figure out things and also way overestimate or underestimate how many problems that will pop up from us solving other problems. Like the foldable phone. We have foldable phones. Oh, well, it turns out those screens use a ton of energy. So now they have a five-hour battery life. Oh, yeah, they're not that sturdy. And if it breaks, it's so like it's so much easier to break. And it's to the point where it's not really taking up much less room because then you have to build it to not break as easily. So it's thicker in some portions. And it's and then like there's still a crease on the fold. So it's like in practice, we have folding phones, but I really think we're years away from them being good. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, like, I don't know, like uh, the concept of a smart fridge. That was a thing that you people pressed for a while oh, back. God, yeah. If you could have a fridge that, and when you took something out of the fridge and never put it back in it and it, or it's kept track of how, the volume of stuff you have left in all of your containers and that it automatically generated a list and sent it to you or sent it to your grocer to get all of your food. People would buy that, I think. I, I think it, that does exist. I don't know how I, good I think they is. just came out. I don't own one, so I don't know. And I bet that's expensive. People, I think there would be enthusiasm for a product like that. But a product that's just like, oh, I can connect my phone, my fridge to Twitter is pointless. Whoa, I can use Twitter <laughs> on my fridge. <laughs> that's just what we need. More access to constant Twitter feeds. That's definitely good for society. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I think that's just the over underestimation, you know, of like underestimating how many problems that we, the unknown unknowns, like we always underestimate how many unknown unknowns there are. And then we overestimate how useful or at the very least, how much people will be willing to pay for gimmicks. I mean, let's just call them gimmicks. Um, and, And I think the internet of things will not really be there till we really figure out like long distance wireless charging. I want to walk into a house my phone's already charging because of some device that tri- triangulates and sends energy to it. You know, that type of thing. Like, that's really what's needed for Internet of Things right now to really take off, too. Because I'm not charging 100 devices, guys. No, I would rather just kill I myself. R- write some things <laughs> down or not have to keep track of certain. It's, it's easier in a lot of ways. Yeah. All right. Well, let us move on. So Jerithius writes in and he says, have you heard anything about imagination entering a patent for a GPU that is mentioned to do 4K graphics? Uh, I actually have had this company, Imagination, mentioned to me a few times. But outside of that, I'm not going to lie. I haven't really looked into it right now. And what I would say is I've covered things like ARM GPUs and Jingjia and other ones entering the gaming space before. And, and I just don't think any of those are actually going to do it, you know, not, not in any appreciable way in the next year. So what I would say is, look, I think Intel's going to enter the gaming space with gaming GPUs in a more appreciable way than they have for the past decade. So that's exciting. But at the same time, you know, I don't see anyone else on the horizon really getting into the desktop gaming graphics card space right now but i do think someone will else will try to within five years i do i stand by that i think someone else is going to try to this is a market ripe for more competition i mean yeah and i think i I quickly looked up imagination and they like do ray tracing so i mean you could also 
maybe see a situation of them getting in where, like, I don't know, they're acquired mm. by AMD or something. Oh, yeah. And there's also, you also have to worry about that happening as well. I mean, I know <laughs> Intel is looking to buy Nuvia, so. Trans Tech Girl writes in and says, do you think the constant drive towards high resolutions driven by the inherent weaknesses in flat screen technologies has held back the graphical capabilities of games? Um, oh, I, I kind of see what this person's saying. Like, higher resolutions really help how good a flat screen works because of how LCD tech works. You mm-hmm. might not need it as much with OLED or CRT. Like, has that held back graphical capabilities? I, I don't really think so. Not really. I still think there's more detail you can literally show, even if it doesn't take as much of a perceivable quality hit with a OLED or CRT monitor. Like, but I, I think we need 4K as a standard, anyways, before we talk about that. Look, if we're stuck on LCDs with 8K, if we were still stuck on LCD with 8K in four years, I'd say yes. But I don't think we will be. So I kind of think we're going to kind of move to the next micro LED and OLED technologies right when about we need to, to saturate 4K and 8K graphics. Well, and I mean, if you think about it, that makes sense. These are companies that are constantly trying to sell you new products. And I think beyond 4K, the desire kind of dies largely. Like, I don't think almost anyone cares if they ever get a monitor or TV higher than 4K. Uh, so they need to move in other directions at a certain point. I think eventually you might, because again, like I've seen these, vi- you know, like vi- de- video demos at Best Buy and such in person of an 8K TV with a shot in 8K video. And it's like Sao Paulo and the favela. I can like literally see what people are doing across the city like you can in real life if you have good eyesight. So like that type of stuff, there's literally like things you can't show on lower resolutions. Like 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 the, the analogy I would make is look at TV shows in the 70s. There's nothing complex ever happening on screen. They can't even really show text. Like everyone's next to each other, right next to each other when they're talking. Yeah. And that's because the resolution wasn't high enough to show anything complex going on. And I think 8K will enable us to do far, far, far more in some games and movies. But yeah, I, I don't, I, do, I, I don't think that I don't think that uh, LCD specifically has held back the capabilities. I think it could eventually. But, but not yeah. right now. Mausoleum writes in and says, Hi, Tom. First of all, thank you for the inform- informational fun and objective tech content in this weird pandemic-ridden year. No problem. Then to my question, when do you think OLED micro LED high refresh rate monitors will become standard for gaming? I, I mean, I think, you know, OLED could for high-end monitors in 2022, but I'm still doubting it really happening in 2021. I, I think there will be high-end gaming OLED monitors in 2021, don't I do? I stand by that. I mean, you could argue there are now with like the CX and the C9. How right? big are those? 48 and 55 inches. Okay. It's a TV, it, it, but it's like you know, I don't know. I'm starting to yeah. see 49 inch curved LCD screen. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, are we really going to complain about a 48 inch CX? But um, no, I think you're going to have them next year. But I don't think they're going to be like. Very obtainable, you know, sub 1000 until 2022. And again, you know, I'm not pay- placing any bets on micro LED. Dude, micro I, LED right now reminds me of OLED in 2012, where everyone was hyping it up and then it took like eight years to really be useful. I, I mean, micro LED is like barely beyond being an experimental technology at yeah, this point. Yeah, I know Samsung's acting like it's around the corner. Yeah, I don't think it is, guys. I think it's five years out. Yeah, and I think you will see. 
Yeah, see, you will. Uh, you yeah. will see them, but yeah, they're not they're not looming. No. Amiable Chef writes in and says, Tom, you talked about this off and on, but are you going to be setting up a benchmark rig at some point now that uh, benchmarks, for instance, RDNA 2 and, and Zen 3? I mean, maybe. We'll see. I've considered, you know, we're getting to the page. If we cross the next Patreon tier of support, I think I can finally afford to just have that and like buy the newest cards and test them myself. But that's what it would take because I'm not focused on benchmarking. So I'm never going to do hardware and box level benchmarks. But I would like to have like a shelf of like 10 of the newest cards on hand. So if I want to check things for myself, I can. But that's the level of support this would need. It's not worth it right now. It's just not, you know. And yes, it would be Zen 3. And I was waiting for Zen 3 because <laughs> I want it to be a benchmarking rig that I'm sure won't bottleneck any cards at 120 hertz for years, you know, so it's not a yeah. waste. Because again, I'm not hardware unboxed. I, I honestly don't have the time to do a bunch of benchmarking. So, but yeah, I mean, it's something I'm considering for sure, especially if I move early next year, which I'm kind of planning on it, getting a bit bigger house with more room to have all of that stuff. <laughs> all right, Dan, that is it. We did it. I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe not to the, one of the biggest episodes, <laughs> at least not compared to the recent ones, certainly way bigger than they used to be, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, just several big, meaty, veiny stories there, Dan, that yeah, we swallowed so, down our mouths today. Yeah, some really girthy stories. Yep. And that's where we're ending the podcast today. I, <laughs> I guess. think that's an excellent way to end the podcast. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. You know, um, if you do listen, remember to share this with your friends. We're trying to get up the, the uh, charts as much as possible. Dan, we have been reached out to possibly by a podcast network. So, oh, that's but, weird. Okay. I know, <laughs> I know, it's weird to just tell you. So, but you know, the more the it's important because the more we climb up the RSS feed, which again, there are thousands of people. I mean, I think tens of thousands that primarily listen to this. There, guys. So, the higher we can get up in the technology leaderboards on Stitcher, Apple, and Spotify, the more people will notice us as a con, you know, we'll notice the Moore's Law is Dead platform outside of YouTube and bring in a ton of more people. Because again, I'm starting to see it, you know, people on the YouTube channel like, oh, wow, you do have a big YouTube channel and it isn't to this podcast. <laughs> you know, so remember to subscribe to the RSS feed, tell your friends about us, um, share the videos on Moore's Law is Dead. If you can support us, remember that you would have, you know, you'll get episodes like this early and without ads. And you'll also get access to Die Shrink, which is only for patrons and hits and gems and flyer states early, which I am planning a new flyer state stand. Promise there will there will always be another one on the horizon. But it seems like a quarterly podcast at this point. But yeah, you know we've been busy. So, anyways, that's that. Don't forget to support us if you're a hitchhiker. Just tell your friends, and we appreciate all of you in the free feeds. Dan, any last words? No, I don't think so. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. 
And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover State's podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Matthew McMullen, Telos, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Bollocks, Joshua Alvin, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Lau, James Crasta, Justin Pear, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, TSBCFS, Grizzantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, D. Kunky, Christoph Novak, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Isaiah Gosner, Lethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Hector Santana, Matthew Lane, Joe McMorrow, Jan Rauner, Robert Duck, Street of Full, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Joe, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Zedia Tech, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Ivan K., Trevor Power, Cyanora, Elena, Joshua Stavnis, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Kyerman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Macto226, Zebra Z Burr, Zlicky, Matt Porsegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Garanadin, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Joaquin Hagen, Sarah Light, Anthony Greffa, Matthew Griffin, Alex, Josie Floria, Carl Marco, Deke, Jeezy Raman, Raul Abeneni, Master Andy Wan, Jake Dude23, Brian Riggleman, Maxime Bratukin, Ryan Deniscu, Dave McCoy, Valko Malev, Messiers, Paul Bogdan, Morton Spenson, Andrew, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Mose from Oz, My Sharona, Derek File, Roman, Jacob, Stan Kiewitz, Jake Pym, Austin Tannis, JBG, Stefan Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Charles Antoine Futo, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, James Kitchens, Kevin Chen, Shikir, Dean Despotsky, Paul J, My Name Is Nobody, Ruben Maurer, Louise Correa, John Jameson, Ashil Dar Epshin, Luca and Anders Bervin, Matthew Lazier, Tim Robbins, HardForum.com, Susanna, Maria, and Daniel Olson. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 